The cross of Christ is inexhaustible, as inexhaustible as the wisdom of God itself. And when you think about it, it was the iron ore that God created, which was buried in the ground to eventually be discovered, melted, and used to nail his own son to a tree, a tree that God also made. Such a deep love shown by the Creator shows the sovereignty of God over our salvation in all of the particulars. And these are the types of Godward thoughts that I discover when I read the perceptive writings of Anne Voskamp. Anne lives in rural southern Ontario in Canada with her husband, a farmer, or as she affectionately refers to him in her writings, the farmer. The Voskamps farm 600 acres, they tend to 600 sows and 1,000 piglets, and they are raising six children that are all homeschooled. They have a very busy farm life, but somehow Anne also finds time to write. She is perhaps best known for her best-selling book, 1,000 Gifts, which was published by Zondervan in 2011. It's a textbook on gratitude, and it also contains stories of deep personal tragedies in her own life. And she speaks in detail of God's sustaining grace in her life as well. Grace is a word that comes to mind with Anne's writings. The Bible reminds us that we can use language in a way to give grace to others, which certainly must be the highest purpose of language to begin with. And if that is the case, then I think it's safe to say that the highest calling for any author is to write words that convey grace to a reader. And unless you've tried that, you may not be aware just how hard this really is. It's a gift. It's a supernatural gift. And communicating grace to readers through the written word is something very few modern writers can do consistently well. But I think one of them who does this well and consistently is Anne Voskamp. And as Christmas rolls around in 2012, Anne is a constant grace-filled reminder to me that at the center of the Christmas celebration of the birth of Christ is to be a reminder of the death of Christ, our Savior, who died on our behalf. I get this reminder from the pages of her book and from her frequent postings on her blog. And as we will hear today on this podcast, this reminder emerges in the way she intentionally cares for her family during the Christmas season. In this special Christmas episode of the Authors on the Line podcast, I put Anne Voskamp on the line, and I began by asking Anne how farm life for her informs how she reads the nativity in Scripture. We go up to the barn 365 days of the year. It doesn't. We Christmas morning, you still get up and you go and you do barn chores, and in the evening you still do barn chores. So there's not a holiday <laughs> from that barn. So um, it's our family tradition. Everybody goes to the barn Christmas evening, and I always find it one of the most moving experiences <laughs> to go out to the barn and to hear the sows all bang in the troughs for their their feed, and to go along and feed those sows and think, the Lord of heaven and earth. <laughs> creator of the cosmos, God chose to take on flesh and come be, come and be laid down in a trough. <laughs> I, that to me is the most staggering, humbling that, that he as the creator would choose his entry point there. Um, last year at Christmas, out in the barn, I couldn't stop smiling and, and my husband had turned to me and, and said, you know, what are you smiling about? And I just said, you know, the smell out in the barn. And for, for city folks, that, that smell's not probably going to bring a smile. But, but for us in the farm, it smells like home to us. It, it's the sense of who we are out here in the country. But really, it's, it's humanity. There's a stench to us. There's a sin stench to us. And God comes and he meets us in that place, Tony. And I think to think that God knows the muck of our lives and the stench that we try to mask 
and he chooses to come to your dirty places, the places that shame us. And we think, you know, Christmas backs right up against the new year and all of these these resolutions to be different and to be changed. You know, the hope of a new us is only possible because Christ came to a manger, to a barn, to the stench and to the sin. Our only hope for a new us is because he meets us in the sinful places. So for us, being here on the farm, that nativity, there's a there's an aroma to it that reminds us of our utter needfulness of Jesus to meet us in places that aren't beautiful and to make us more like the fragrance of Christ, his aroma. Yeah, it was actually quite overwhelming to think about the stench of this barn. I mean, city folks, actually, we have um, three shower cells at the barn, so we shower into the barn and shower out of the barn because you don't want to carry that stench out into the world. But that really, that's the condition of who I really am without Jesus. And I think making that connection, so now with our kids, making that connection every year at Christmas that, um, yes, Christmas looks like it's all glowing lights and beautiful, but let's not forget who we really are and what a barn is really like and that Jesus meets us there. I've been reading your blog for some time, and it's striking to me how central for you the cross of Christ is in your celebration of Christmas. Uh, The cross radiates from your blog, and especially so around the Christmas holidays, For me, it's easy to assume the cross or to forget the cross when it comes to Christmas, but what do you do intentionally to avoid this? I think, I think too often, I think too often we think that um, Christmas is something that we, sadly, we think we can buy or that we can create or we can make by hand, but ultimately Christmas isn't a product that we can wrap up, but it's a person that we unwrap. And that Christ, he comes to the manger, to that cradling trough, to the mire and the stench, but it doesn't end there. That that manger, it's wood, and it's nailed together. And, and that manger takes us right to the cross. That if we are saved only through another tree, <laughs> that tree from the garden, that tree at the manger, the tree... Jesus hung on to save us. So unless we've got a tree at the center of our Christmas, I don't think we have a Christmas. When I lay out the Christmas decorations, and I've done that, this is probably, uh, we've been doing, um, Caleb, our oldest, is 17, so 12 years now. I lay nails out at the base of that tree, so they're big. They're actually railroad spikes. To make make us remember, this tree, (laughs) it's leading us to the cross, and the story is just beginning now, and we take um, the last 12 years, we've done what we call a Jesse tree, so we start in Genesis, and we read through the month of December, starting in Genesis, straight through the Old Testament to the New Testament, to understand that from the beginning of time, we've been coming to this place, everything pointing to Jesus and that cross, and the Messiah coming to redeem us. So that when we get to Christmas, the kids never thought it was just a baby in a manger, but they realized it was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's been prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament that he's coming to reign in our own lives. The weight and the iron of those spikes and to lay them down at the tree and you think, you know what, there's a cost to all of this, really, our salvation. And if he's, if he's not withheld his only begotten son from us, Romans 8.32, will, will he withhold anything that we need? Coming back to this, we've already been given the greatest gift. There needs to be nothing more. Yes, amen. That is the greatest gift. 
I think this this Christmas season is very busy and hectic for all of us, but women especially so, I think. Uh, speak for a moment to women who are losing sight of Christ in the busyness of this season. They've taken their eyes off of the greatest gift. What would you say to them? We've just been going through the last month of Sundays, the importance of the gospel. And I think we need to stay at the gospel through this Christmas season, especially to remind ourselves over and over again, my hope is not built on my performance, but on Jesus' righteousness. In our flesh, we are always performance-driven, and every day we need to become again cross-centered. No one needs the gospel only once, because all of our bad days need the good news of His grace over and over again. And I think the wonder of this season, wives feel so much pressure to to perform in their homes and with their families and to create the memories and to, to really build into their kids and to remember you know, the gospel isn't a one-time message for unbelievers, but a constant miracle for all of us who are imperfect. So that preaching the gospel to yourself every day, it's not a cliche. It's absolutely critical. Otherwise, it's your life that's in critical condition. Every day, you have to evangelize yourself. That Jesus has paid the price, and that you're, it's not based on your performance anymore. Jesus stands in dead for you, and now you're just leaning hard on the cross. It's amazing grace over and over and over again. You mentioned Romans 8.32. One of my favorite excerpts from your book, 1,000 Gifts, is on page 154. This is what you wrote, quote, He gave us Jesus. Jesus gave him up for us. If we have only one memory, isn't this one enough? Why is this the memory I most often take for granted? He cut open the flesh of the God-man and let the blood. He washed our grime with the bloody grace. He drove the iron ore through his own vein. Doesn't that memory alone suffice? Need there be anything more? If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? End quote. Romans 8.32 for you is really a life verse. I mean, explain this more. Why is this your life verse? Actually, um, you think about the Israelites, and um, Jewish people still do it every year, Passover. They go back to, um, at the Cedar, their Passover celebration, they say it again and again, day, day in and day in. It would have been enough if God brought us out of Egypt. It would have been enough if he had parted the Red Sea. But for us as Christians, looking at Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all? It would have been enough if he had just given us Jesus. If we have only one memory, <laughs> having the memory of the cross, that is enough. But it's the memory. Oftentimes, I know I do, Tony, that's the one you take for granted. We forget that we think that the cross is elementary, that's your first step, and then you just go deeper, but actually the cross, it's, it's essential every single day of the Christian's life. It, that's the one thing you can't forget, that Jesus Christ, he drove that iron ore through his own vein, and that memory alone suffices. That is, counting of all of our gifts this season and beyond is ultimately summed up in one, but all gratitude is ultimately gratitude for Christ, and all remembering is ultimately a remembrance of him. All things are from him and through him and back to him again. Christ is our cross beam. Last Christmas you wrote a piece on your blog about being reminded of the centrality of Christ's death in your life. Um, it's titled, The One Thing Your Christmas Can't Afford to Be Without, and you, you published it December fifteenth, two 2011 on your blog a holy experience. 
In it, you picture a key ring cross, essentially a piece of jewelry that's been lost and trampled in the mud. Tell us more about the background uh, story behind this post. I've gone to a women's Christian conference. It was deeper still, and this was just a few weeks before Christmas a couple of years ago. And, um, and yeah, this blog post comes out of what it was like coming out of that women's conference. And, um, and then the next morning, um, I went to church Sunday morning at um, David Platt's church, and the unexpected experience I had, and um, the repentance and the coming back to the centrality of Jesus. Lord, I'm prone to wander, <laughs> you know, just to pull me back in close to you again and again. And Anne, would you close out the remaining time on this podcast by reading this particular blog post for us? Uh, if I can get through it, Tony, without tears. <laughs> okay. I walk out of a Christian women's conference in mid-December and step oblivious right over a cross. I can be a woman rock-hard and blind, a woman who forgets her own face, oblivious to the appalling miracle of rain that becomes wheat, bread in the mouth that becomes grace in the veins, forgetting God taking my place when my sin is that I keep trying to take his place in my life. Honestly, I would have just kept walking straight out of that conference and onto, into the dark coming on and never looked back. We were headed to the car after the conference. We have places to go and there are roads that lead away. And I have no idea why we think that the way that God is here isn't always the way. I don't even remember which one of us women pauses there in the parking lot and murmurs it into the dusk. Oh, look, someone's lost their cross. I mean, I had never seen that cross before, the one lying on the pummeled gravel, the gravel all punched out by wheels spinning and leaving and moving on. It's lying there next to a puddle, a black cross, the forgotten remnant of a keychain. I did linger because I had felt it, something in me lunging to reach out to wipe off the cross's muddied surface, clasp it. I had felt it, the recognition, like noticing your family names scrawled across a scrap, and then the longing and the belonging. I had almost knelt down, had almost claimed it as my own, almost let it take hold of me. But did I really need a little homeless, dirty cross? I had a few necklaces with crosses. I was wearing one. I'd come to the cross way back there already, laid my burden down. Yes, the cross is the crux of my life. But do I really need to rescue this specific lost cross from a mud puddle? I had considered it for a moment and then turned, walked into shadows. The next morning it finds me in the church of Brook Hills. We find a seat and David Platt, he's in jeans on the platform. Mr. Platt's book, Radical, Taking Back Your Face from the American Dream, it's at home dog-eared and in the Bible box because we read it as a family after meals. We always read scripture after every meal and we've been reading radical then after scripture and we'd swallowed it down, the stuff that gets caught in your gullet and won't let you go. Walking through the church of Book Hills, there are pictures of the poor and needy hanging everywhere in this church. 
faces from the deep south, the slum in Africa, or rundown tenements from around the corner. I'm sitting there beside Molly Piper, Robin Vance, and on the other side of me, Kristen Welch, a real-life radical who's made her life about loving the least of these in Kenya. And they've got a hold of her, and they're holding her close to Jesus. And from the platform, Mr. Platt says it. Words, he says, are for already believers, the already cross-claimed ones. Your only hope for joy, your only hope for peace, your only hope for comfort, your only hope for strength, and your only hope for love in this life is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Your only hope in this life is found in the brutal, bloody humiliation of a naked man on a wooden post. My hope is that you go out of this building clinging to the cross of Christ. And I can feel it. Like it was gutted out of me. That lost cross that I left back in a parking lot outside a stadium on my way out of a Christian women's conference just before Christmas. That cross I said I didn't really need right then. Not the muddied one, not the ugly one, not the one that will mean my hands will have to get dirty. The cross, I say, I've already once come to, been there, done that, asked for forgiveness of sins, and then carried on, on to my life. That one-time work of saving and redemption and justification all neatly wrapped up and finished, up and done. It is finished, and Christ finished it. But I am never finished with the cross. I need a cross-centered life if I'm going to live the cross-filled life. How do I get back to that parking lot and never move on and kneel right down and cling to that cross for all I'm worth? David Platt saying that this cross is a sign of God's affection for us, that we need the cross daily because how else can we die daily? I know. We need a place of execution in our lives if we're ever to rightly execute a life of faith. And I know my life needs an axle on which to turn, and my Christmas needs to be cross-centered. If my life isn't cross-centered, my life is off-centered, and the warping spin can leave me right sick. My life needs central faith force, And the centrality of the cross is the force that holds together my universe. And grace is my gravity. And the cross is my cosmos. Is everything in my world spinning out of control? Is it because I've lost the centrality of the cross? A tree needs to stand certain at the center of Christmas. The worship team is playing music quietly. Dr. Platt invites anyone who needs to come to the cross again, to cling to the cross, to come again. It's only after the service is over, after one stream of people has flowed out and folks are trickling in for the next service just before we need to leave. But I say it out loud to Robin and Kristen Molly, the friends I've come with. Can can I just have one minute? I just have to... mm, have to touch that cross I need to find what I didn't even know that I'd lost there's a cross at the front of the sanctuary and I don't care how many people are milling about and this time I kneel down 
And this Christmas that we celebrate, this is the winter passion, the white-hot burn of his love. I look up at the cross and I can feel it in my heart, the white-hot burn of his love, and it heats me right through, liquefies everything hard. And my love leaks slow, and then it comes in waves, and I'm overtaken, surprised, the shoulders shuddering, the sobs spilling. And I'm the woman who needs saving from herself again, again every day. The dirty that needs to be wiped clean every day. The hands that need a cross to wrap a life right around so she won't get lost. The words slip off the tongue, a whisper. Everything else sliding tears straight down and my hands pressing into the wood of that cross. I will cling, Jesus. I will let go of everything else. And I will cling to you, and I won't let go. I'm touching the wooden cross on the platform, and this is how God signs his love to a loud and deaf world. He signs his love in this cross, his love to a world with wounds of its own. My shoulders keep heaving. Jesus knows. He knows. And in love, he won't leave us alone. And I'm not letting go of this cross. The cross, the intersection of his love and my need, the beam that supports the whole of a real life, the cross, the tree on which God hung grace, the light of the world, the only star that shattered all my dark. I'm bent and cracked before a cross a few weeks before Christmas. If there is no cross in my Christmas, then my Christmas has lost Christ. And what is the manger if not for the Messiah, the one who saves us with scars? The babe who lays in a wooden manger, who came to lie in a wooden cross, he's healing all wounds. When we walk into the church, the air is turned cold, bitter. The blast of all the wind of this world, it hits us hard. I walk across another parking lot on a Sunday morning, walking towards the car. And I'm fingering along my silver necklace to hold on to it. To feel a cross again. The very center of the cosmos. The center of Christmas that I cannot lose. The white-hot love of his cross. This warming of everything once cold. That was Anne Voskamp from her farmhouse in southern Ontario in Canada and is the author of the best-selling book, 1,000 Gifts, published by Zondervan in 2011. She was reading her blog post titled, The One Thing Your Christmas Can't Afford to Be Without, published online on December 15, 2011, at her blog, aholyexperience.com. Thank you for listening to this special Christmas episode of the Authors on the Line podcast. This free podcast is supported, produced, and distributed by Desiring God in Minneapolis. You can subscribe and find a full archive of episodes by searching for Authors on the Line in the iTunes store or watch for new episodes online at desiringgod.org forward slash blog. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful Christ-centered, cross-centered Merry Christmas.